0: In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Robert Clapper is the head of orthopedic surgery at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. Each Saturday morning and it's time for Dr. Clapper.
1: Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer.
0: <laughs> this is the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedars-Sinai on ESPN
2: LA 710 and the ESPN app. Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Yes, Doc. I love your show. Thank Um, you. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper.
1: Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 31 years. Wow. I am so excited for my guest today. He's calling in from Atlanta. He's my favorite sports announcer for NCAA football. His name is Brad Nessler. I've been listening to him call games for years. But this year, he really outdid himself. This year, we saw LSU and their quarterback, Joe Burrow, break every record a player could possibly break he won everything, SEC championship, Heisman trophy, and the national championship. I saw every game, but more importantly, I heard Brad Nestler call so many of the games, and I really studied how he used his voice as an instrument. Just like my tools in surgery, Brad Nestler used his voice. The speed, the tempo, the highs, the lows went to allow crowd noise storytelling. He does it all to such a level of expertise. And it made me think all week, where in art, where in sports, where in surgery, do we see the voice as an instrument or a tool? Well, in art, nobody mastered the pace, the tempo, the phrasing of his voice better than Italian tenor Luciano Pavarotti. You don't have to understand Italian to feel the power in his voice. And in a minute, you're going to hear how he fought with his dad, who is also a tenor, about technique. Nowhere near the notoriety of, of his son, but their battles were about this technique. And in sports growing up, nobody in my lifetime had more powerful a voice in sports than Jim McKay, the host of ABC Wide World of Sports, their very first announcer. Let me tell you something. ESPN would never exist if Wide World of Sports was not created. And if it wasn't for Jim McKay, there'd be no Wide World of Sports. He used his voice to tell stories that made you want to see the demolition derby car driver or that diver in Acapulco The storytelling about their lives is what brought you in. And his excitement, really for the person, for the athlete, is what revolutionized the whole idea of announcing in sport, using his voice as an instrument to tell stories. And in surgery, I was blessed to spend a fellowship year with the great Dr. Robert Curlin of Curlin-Job. And he really taught me, a lot about how to use your voice as an instrument. He's one of the Mount Rushmore guys who created the very idea of sports medicine. Clap revision, we got to talk about the last dance because one of the most significant injuries, not to Michael Jordan, but to Scottie Pippen, what kind of foot surgery did he have that led to this whole story about him staying out during the championship run? We'll get into that foot surgery to his second toe and what exactly is a damage to the volar plate of his second toe that Dr. William Hamilton, who I knew very well in New York, operated on him and Charles Oakley. I'll give you a hint. It involves a hot dog and a bun. That'll be the clap revision for Scottie Pippen's injury. Let's get right into it. Rebecca, let's let everybody hear what it's like. Well, first, let's listen to Brad Nessler. So we'll just test the waters so that you'll hear why I'm so impressed at how he changes the height of his voice, the pacing, the crowd noise, the storytelling. Let's do the first of the two Brad Nestlers calling. First of a football game, Tennessee against Florida, and then a basketball game. Let's do the football game first.
0: In trouble in the backfield. wants to throw down. He's going
2: to go deep. And I mean deep.
1: Love it. Now let's hear a basketball game. NCAA final form. I should say March Madness. Michigan State versus Houston. Oh my. Listen again carefully. This is not an accident. This is an artist at work. High, low, allowing the crowd noise, storytelling. Ah, oh, I just love it. Brad Nestler. Let's listen to this basketball
2: game. The rifles are right
0: in front of us to Abdul at midcourt, Extra pass.
1: It's such an art it's such a craft it's just beautiful to listen to let's listen again we don't speak a lick of italian you and me kobe did but not you and me listen to luciano pavarotti recital we'll do one and two Here's the climax of Nessun Dormi. Okay, only on this show will we compare Pavarotti to a Tennessee-Florida game, but trust me, that's what's going on. Let's listen to Pavarotti talking about this craft, this art of using your voice as an instrument. Let's go to Pavarotti's sound bites. Let's start with number five to ten.
3: In a chorus, there is always the old people. Then, when they see a young kid come in, they always think that he's an idiot. <laughs> then he cannot sing he cannot sing appropriately he cannot do a certain thing different than what they always have done a voice alone is not enough uh, for example he did not have ambition, he did not have courage to go in front of the audience face to face and say, this is Here talking I, am. About his dad. I am a tenor I would like to sing I want to sing that my father was unable to say I think I was a little like him at the beginning, but Paula who was a tenor already, he really gave me the pushing. With example. Paula every was day teacher. I remember for six months, consecutive months, I just make vocalise. E e u y and nothing else than that. Just to open this joint. Because I was a little close. T M J I remember very well. Every time he was, uh, for example, explaining the, the, the cover sound, the, the sony di passaggio. I always try, and of course I crack, and, it, and I say, I cannot do it. And, and he says, listen, and he makes the sound. And he says, if I do this, then I am a person, you can do this, you are an animal. He
1: <laughs> always
3: remember that. Of course he was joking. Because
1: <laughs> he was joking. <laughs> this is Paul Polish- talking.
3: Voice is one question, but you must have musicality, you are, must have rhythmicality, intelligence, memory. To make a complete artist, you have so many, many, many things. Together, you make a great singer. This is Giuseppe Di Stefano, and uh, this is the terror who made me fight with my father. Because when he come out, I say to him, Papa, I, I like this more. I don't want to <coughs> take Gilly in less consideration. My father was a super fanatic of Gilly, but I like this young man more because he's, he's giving me a, a new message. With a beautiful voice, he's going to try to stay close to the truth. And he made open sound and they excite me.
2: Di Stefano had the exceptional interpretive skills of a great creative artist and I believe Luciano learned a lot from him, but he is shrewd enough not to follow his technical path because Di Stefano's technique was not good. Not good because, to put it technically, he used to open the notes of the passaggio when they need to be more focused.
3: The passaggio are the notes between the mid and high range
2: where the tenor needs to sing the vowels a little darker. Di Stefano sings a little bit. A classical tenor sings rounder and softer and tires the voice less.
1: I cannot wait to talk to Brad Nestler about who inspired him and just the whole craft, the technical aspects, raising the voice, lowering the, voice, letting the crowd noise in. Jim McKay with ABC Wide World of Sports was the most influential an announcer using your voice as an instrument in my lifetime. Let's go one through eight at the beginnings of Jim McKay, and you'll hear him speaking in the beginning about the birth of ABC Wide World of Sports, which ultimately leads to ESPN. Let's hear the beginning.
2: Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World. Bruno said, Jim, yeah, we're going to put on a summer replacement show of 20 weeks. And uh, he said it'll involve a number of different sports. And I think I should tell you it will involve a certain amount of travel of the sports
0: since it didn't have the great events was an abject lesson in great storytelling you had to find out what was interesting and would connect with an audience when you were doing things people never heard of before.
2: Good afternoon. This is Jim McKay reporting to you from the Eiffel Tower in Paris. The four men, experienced, world-class mountain climbers, carefully selected, are going to attempt to climb this tower armed only with their bare hands and their courage.
0: Jim understood what that show was about. And that show wasn't just about going to a rugby game and announcing the rugby game. So you're introducing new sports, new people, new countries, new cultures.
2: We're behind the Iron Curtain, and here on Paris Street are the people of Prague, as curious about us, apparently, as we are about them. Jimmy Cape took sports events further down the road toward the real world and how people lived than other people had been brave enough to do before. He had an innate ability To seek out the drama that existed in the sporting event
0: and really make a memorable story out of it.
2: This young man is Manuel Garcia. Today, you're going to see him perform one of the world's most daring athletic feats—leaping from a cliff into the swirling waters of the Pacific Ocean. How- it's not the world record that counts. It's who sets the world record, and how much do I know about him or her, and do I admire them? Or do do or not admire them. The uh, uh, demolition derby from Islip, Long Island—one of the great events in history. As <laughs> absurd as it all sounds, cars crashing into each other.
1: And Jim made you feel for the guy who was in the old jalopy. He was about to barrel in backwards into another July.
2: When the first British Open golf tournament was played, Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States. And yet there are many with the temerity and with the confidence to say that this British Open, the 1962 Open, is the greatest of them all. Jim loved
0: doing golf. He loved the sense of history of golf. He loved the sense of fair play, that you were your own referee. Now
2: Arnold Palmer, about a 20-footer. Hello. And he made it. <laughs> two great cuts on the final hole as Arnold Palmer breaks the record for the British Open by two shots with a total of two seventy-six. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind that if Rune, Harlow should not had shown the idea is why the sports was it would not have worked because it was McKay's ability to tell the stories of the participants, make them come to
1: life. By using his voice as an instrument, just like Pavarotti, just like Frank Sinatra, and just like my guest, the great Brad Nessler. Coming up next, I'll take your calls. The clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. i got to tell you about combining guava, and cream cheese in a donut. I got to tell you about this place called Trader Joe's and what they have there for chocolate that I discovered that will blow your mind. And I also want to do some clap revision, talk about the last dance. What was Scottie Pippen's injury that kept him out of the lineup? We'll get into all of that and your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Weekend
0: Warrior Show, presented by Cedar sinai In trouble in the backfield, wants to throw down. He's going to go deep, and I mean deep, and I mean touchdown,
2: Florida! Tyree Cleveland in a miracle finish! A Hail Mary that's full of grace for the
1: Gators! If that don't get your blood pressure up, Nothing will. And I'm joined by the man who made that call, the great Brad Nestler. Brad, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hey, Doc. How are you today? Oh, I'm just loving trying to appreciate the work that goes in to make it look easy. And you and I know it ain't easy. I'm so blessed. You know, I got excited to talk to Dick Butkus on the show and Isaiah Thomas and some of the great doctors in our time. I am so excited to talk to you. Because I, Michelangelo's dead 500 years. I feel like I'm talking to Michelangelo.
0: Oh, that's too kind. <laughs> hey, I just went to Italy last year for the first time, and I I know you're a sculptor and all of that, and uh, I've seen some of your stuff, which is fantastic. But uh, Thank you. you know, Thank you. Michelangelo, I'm, I, I was thinking, you know, how can one guy be so talented in so many different venues? You know, a painter, right. a sculptor, and a lot of people don't, you know, the, uh, the inventions and stuff. I don't know how the guy had enough time to do all of this. It's unbelievable when, when you have a chance to go to Italy and see all that stuff. Uh, it's it's remarkable. But those are the people that
1: inspire us. You know that that we're not doing enough and to suck the juice out of every single day. I don't think there's any greater compliment that you can pay a person than say whether you're an electrician, a plumber, a surgeon, or an announcer than saying you're an artist. Right? It's the highest compliment. You can give someone.
0: It is. Kobe it truly is, and um, you know, I, I don't think of my job as a job. I think of it as a craft. I guess so. That's right. Sort of the same thing.
1: Tell us a little bit about the beginning. Your dad. What did he do for a, a living? You grew up in Minnesota. Right. Well, when was the moment when Cupid shot an arrow in your heart? <laughs> what were you watching that said, nope this is what I want to do"? Was it Kurt Gowdy?
0: Pat Summerall, who was it? Oh, man, you, you're, you're getting the guys. Um, it was probably Ray Scott who preceded Pat Summerall and taught Pat how to do play-by-play. You know, back in the day when I was, you know, 12 or 13, whatever, um, you know, the Packers were the most dominant team, and, and the number one announced team basically followed the Packers around, and it was Ray Scott. And I just was marveled at the way Ray did, it. and he was, you know, a minimalist. Uh, he didn't need to say a lot. He would just say, star. Dollar touchdown, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, that's all he had to say, you know. And uh, I just was riveted by the way he did that. And, and my dad, who owned a trucking business, was a drove truck his whole life, and so did my brother. Mm. And my nephew does now. Um, you know, I said, Dad, uh, listen, I, I think I know what I'm going to do when I grow up, if I ever grow up. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he said, What? And I said, I'm going to be a sportscaster. <laughs> and you know, he sort of laughed at me, and so did my mom. And my dad said, listen, son, he said there's this new thing just coming out right now called computers. So that ages me pretty well because that was a <laughs> new thing at the time. Why don't you get into computers? I said, Dad, I, I, that's not what I'm going to do. And wow. he said, well, how are you going to, if you're a sportscaster, are you going to make any money? And I said, I don't know, we'll see. And um, you know, wow. so in subsequent years, he made it long enough to see me, my first in at CBS, in uh, 90 i guess before he passed away so uh by the time i got to that point he was like well i guess he did what he was said he was going to
1: (laughs) do oh that's fantastic you know i remember i've invented a lot of instruments i have a lot of patents on tools used all over the world and I remember bringing my dad to the orthopedic convention where surgeons from all over the world were just loving these tools that I came up with, and I snuck him into the convention, I got him a badge, and he looked at me and he said, Robbie, how did you come up with all of these things? And I said, you taught me that. He goes, me, I'm a carpenter, how could I teach you this? Right. I said, I remember the day when you brought the Milwaukee Sawzall home. And it changed your life. And he wow. looks at me like, what does the Milwaukee Sawzall have to do with orthopedic surgery? I said, everything. Everything. You, you didn't have to use a hammer and a, and a chisel to carve out in the two-by-four to put the outlet box in the stud. <laughs> you could use them all. And I just remember it made such an impression on me how much that changed your life. I said, that's why I've invented these tools. It was amazing. So what a great feeling to be able to make your dad proud that you went the direction you went
0: and wow. you with your dad that's an awesome story and i I think the only thing I got my work ethic from my dad because he would get up at like one thirty in the morning and he'd drive truck till six o'clock at night, and that's when we had dinner, and then he had to go better to bed early because he had to do it again I the know. next day that in his voice probably we sound quite a bit alike, and my brother did um uh, my late brother sounded a lot like me, so I got my work ethic and my voice from my dad, I guess so. I love that story though. That's awesome. Well, I tell you,
1: what led to me deciding, please, I gotta get a hold of Brad Nestor was watching I mean, I've been listening to you like we all have and appreciating you for all these years. But what the moment when I realized I gotta get this guy, I have to talk to him, was watching the LSU Georgia game. Joe Burrow, who's really I can't wait to hear your thoughts about this young man. But there was a moment in the game where Gary Danielson says, oh my god, that's gotta be at least seven seconds. Look how long he's holding onto the ball. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. And you said something like, well, maybe it's a few more seconds if it's a Louisiana, not a Mississippi. <laughs> and I remember going, that's the guy I gotta talk to. Because the, the beautiful calmness that you have, but the ability to be that creative, it just is, it's the reason I had I had to get a hold of you, and it was not easy. Trust me, I had to get <laughs> Bob Stenner involved to be able to do this. But tell us what it's like for you
0: after all these years to still be excited to be in the booth. Well, I think that's the key is to still be excited. I, um, you know, people ask about. What my hobbies are and what my favorite things to do are and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, being with my family is great and all of us have been with our families long <laughs> enough now. Let's go back to work. No, um, <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I, I, I like doing games more than anything else that I do. Uh, it's just that basic. I love what I do and so I'm excited about it and that's good. I think about four years ago, I missed about Six weeks of the football season recovering from uh, some surgery. And I didn't know how much I missed it until I got back. I couldn't wait to get back in the booth. And once I got back, I think I had a new appreciation for it. And it's just like rejuvenated me. I felt like I was, you know, in my 40s or something when I got back in the booth because I was so excited to be there. It's a different atmosphere in that I get in my own little world not just my world, I I want it to be everybody's world and and Gary and Jamie and everybody on the crew, but you do kind of get into just a rhythm of things and it's kind of hard to explain to be honest with you. Do you break it down? Do you
1: see it? And again, maybe I'm wrong in all this, but do you see, just like as a surgeon, the different tools that I get to use, I break it down from the forceps to the clamps to the scalpel. Do you break it up as when to raise your voice, lower your voice? pace the voice let the crowd noise in when to tell the story do you think about that you got to but Uh, it becomes natural
0: yeah uh, it it becomes natural and you just kind of know when it's the right time to tell a story when it's the right time to lay out. I've thought a lot about it uh, recently in that how will we do it depending on what sports is going to look like if we get back to football. If there isn't a crowd, that's going to be a whole different way of doing play-by-play for a lot of us because, you know, like you said, a lot of the times I just let the crowd tell the story. I might say, uh, you know, third down and 16 and this is a ball game and you're gonna know by the reaction to crowd. And I, I won't say anything. I don't have to call the play by play. You're watching, you're watching what's happening on, on uh-huh. the screen. But if we don't have crowd, and we don't have fans. I don't know what it's going to look and sound like. Actually, when the basketball tournament came around and we were just about ready to hit March Madness, we were having discussions at that point because, you know, it was a day-to-day thing. And at one point they said maybe they'd let in, you know, a hundred relatives and, 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 you know, cheerleaders or whatever to a game. As the tournament conference tournaments were approaching. And, you know, I got together with the bosses and I said, Hey, uh, you know, we've got to do something if it comes to that to kind Mm -hmm. of cover us and have our sound sort of muffled in our own little area of the five person uh, across mid court because my voice carries in an empty arena like you can't believe. And I don't Mm -hmm. want parents hearing me talk about their kids. I don't, I don't rip anybody on the air, but you Mm -hmm. know, just the, the thought of having parents be able to hear me kind of freaked me out and so now if we go to an empty stadium and there's a you know 70 yard touchdown or a five yard touchdown doesn't really matter i just kind of let the crowd tell the story and if there's no crowd noise you got to pick it up and keep talking and it's going to be a whole different approach to play by play so i've been thinking a lot about that lately about how Mm -hmm. will i do it when we get back to work if it's not normal as normal used to be
1: you know i didn't think there was something in between doing a game on radio and doing a game on tv But we're about to experience that if you gotta call a game that is on TV with no crowd, right? right? I mean... To some extent, in the past, when you left Minnesota, was your first job in radio or did you go directly to TV?
0: No, I was in radio a long time. So radio play by play is, I wouldn't even mind going back to that at some point. I love doing that because you're literally painting a picture and, and you have to talk a lot more. And I think the, the play by play guy in a radio atmosphere is quite frankly more important than the analyst, which it's almost the opposite on TV. So yeah, I can, I can do radio play by play. I did it for a long time. I did it with the, the Falcons. First, and then the Vikings, and then I moved into TV. So did that for a long time, and and still love that art form.
1: I have so many questions. There, could you stay on for just one more segment? Sure, Brad. Absolutely, I love you. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll pay some bills. We'll come back with my favorite announcer, the great Brad Nestler, joining us here on the Weekend Warriors show on seven hundred and ten ESPN.
0: You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented
1: by
2: Cedar Sinai. I'm
3: sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, (laughs)
1: Talking to the Pavarotti of sports announcing, the great Brad Nestler. <laughs> I, I saw the three tenors the other day, uh, singing my way when
0: Sinatra was still alive and he was in the audience. He looked at those three guys and just looked at him like, I don't think I'd do it that way. <laughs> but,
1: but to some extent, you don't have to know Italian and I don't know, but raising the voice, lowering your voice, Spreading out the words and then giving the storytelling. Oh my God. I mean, it's an art. It's a craft and it's beautiful when people can do it right. I can't play the guitar, but I know it's Eric Clapton playing. When I, when I watch the game, I just, it go, it, it, you love it even more. I'm Jewish. When I heard that Sandy Koufax was Jewish, I loved him already, but I loved him even more. But when I listen to the game or watch the game, and you're doing it, you love it even more. I want I want to ask you a question, Brad. So Joe Burrow, I can't help but feel. And then I listen to you know other games that you've done that you have almost a a love affair with certain players, and clearly you're supposed to be you know independent and not, but I just love that you can feel, just like Jimmy, the great Jimmy McKay did, you can somehow feel that it's personal. You really appreciate the gift, the hard work that goes into that athlete that you're talking about.
0: Yeah, Joe's a good example. Jake Fromm here at Georgia is another example There's some of the games I've done in the last year. But Joe, you know, the, the fact that he didn't start at Ohio State, transferred to LSU, he took over that locker room when he got to LSU immediately. And in the summertime, I kept hearing about this kid, and I said, well, if he can't start at Ohio State, how can he play at LSU coming into his junior year? And then we saw him progress and how that team got better and better in his junior season. And then nobody could predict that he would have done what he did, you know, last year, but I spent some time in the off-season. I went down to the Manning Passing Academy that Archie and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Eli and, and Peyton run every year. And Joe was there. And Joe's dad was there. Joe's brother was there. So I, I spent some time with the Burrow family. I got to know his dad really well. And his wow. brother pretty well. And I got a little bit of more of an insight into Joe and how he ticks because he's not, you know, he, he doesn't sit and smile at you and give you a bunch of garbage. He's just a really hard-working kid that got better and better and better and mm-hmm. turned himself into a Heisman Trophy winner, number one draft choice, but because I spent that time, I think, and then we did so many games, and you have time to spend with them, you know, mm-hmm. the Friday the Friday before the game, you get a little tainted sometimes. I think uh, same with Tua the year before. I think mm-hmm. you so much time with a kid that you go, wow, he has really worked his butt off, and he's just a remarkable, a remarkable kid and is having a remarkable season, and that probably seeps through when you do the game. I guess if you, yeah. if you don't like somebody, you know, you might be more likely to go, wow. Well, whatever but uh when you like a kid like that i suppose it shows on the air a little bit i once had the privilege
1: um big time laker fan i did surgery on will chamberlain he made me a laker fan after i did his hip surgery and i had gary Vedi, the longtime trainer of the lakers on this show as a guest and i said to him after 30 years gary Vedi, what's the one thing that you learned being you know the the trainer taking care of magic johnson right. and kobe bryant and he said to me dr clapper The one thing I've learned is talent is overrated in sports. (laughs) And I said, oh, my God, what exactly does that mean? And he said, I've taken care of a lot of guys who could jump out of the gym, he said, and they've gone nowhere with their talent. It's the focus. It's the work ethic. That's what makes great players from good players. And I think that that's something that you must appreciate in your line of work as well as in the athletes like Joe Burrow He's talented, but it's the work ethic that you, like your dad waking up at 1 o'clock in the morning to yeah. drive the truck, that somehow touches you, right?
0: Yeah, right. and, you know, everybody sort of steals from other people. I, I, you know, I didn't create play-by-play. Play. I mean, you, you talk about Jimmy right. Jay. I mean, he was unbelievable. Jack Whitaker, uh, the way he spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, Keith Jackson, the way Keith wrote teases. You know, I have to write teases for just about every game, and I feel like I'm getting repetitious. And I'm like, how come I can't do it like Keith? You know, some of the mm-hmm. stuff that would come out of his mouth. Dick Enberg was a storyteller while he was doing play-by-play. Vin Scully, one of the greatest ever in any sport. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't realize how good he was at doing football. You know, before he became mm. just the Dodgers. And mm-hmm. there's so many guys. And and you know, over the years, I, I think you know, you kind of steal a little bit here and a little bit there, and it becomes part of what you do. And you know, Pat Summerall probably. I, I mentioned Ray Scott earlier. Uh, Pat. Summerall I still think, is the best football announcer that has ever lived. And I just love the way he did it. You know, Jack Buck was a great storyteller, not necessarily when he was doing the games, but if you ever saw him at a banquet or a speaking engagement, I mean, the guy was unbelievable. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you take a little bit from everybody, and I think you take some from athletes, too. You mentioned work ethic. Uh, You know, Kobe Bryant was one of the most talented players ever, but it was uh, his work ethic that I think made him... One of the greatest ever, and so you got to kind of mix it all together. Yeah, you can you can run the forty and four three eight, but if you can't catch the ball or you don't work hard at it, you're just a fast guy.
1: You know, they say Keith Jackson used to scribble on pieces of paper little vignettes, little and he stuff them in his in his pocket, and so that he had the confidence. He wasn't nervous when he did a game. That if there was any downtime, that he could pull something out. And, <laughs> do Do you have any tricks like that, or are you just the notes that you take, the, the fill in the gap time. What's your process like? Um, I, I don't do the.